TIM Podcasts. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the CIM podcast series. I'm here today with James Farmer from CIM, and I'm here as well with Kevin Duncan from Expert Advice, who's our special guest today. Kevin is an expert on marketing, um, and what we're going to be talking about today is the shift in pace in the marketing industry from slow to warp speed. And James, this is something you've spotted as a trend since we moved into this lockdown situation. Um, And it's really quite fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Um, You know, I think it's something which is apparent in the way that um, not only marketing departments, but businesses uh, department-wide are, are really sort of shifting up in the gears in, in terms of how they're operating. Um, it's agile marketing through to strategy pivoting, um, generation of new products and services being achieved uh, and pushed out into market in record-breaking time, certainly in timeframes way beyond the, 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 the you know, originally perceived um, limits. Um, and you know, and that goes all the way through the sort of the marketing mix as well, through to sort of the, the production of of campaigns and and, and ads. Um, Gift Gaff being an example, turning around a, a, a new TV spot in the space of a week. Um, they already had the content in the can, admittedly, because um, they were going to release it later on in the year. But to actually then, you know, get it get it edited and cut for a thirty second slot, um, you know, was was just a phenomenal effort. And I think. You know, what sort of precedent does that set going forward? Well, I think there's lots to disentangle here. Let's have a think about the language first. Um, For example, pivoting and agile marketing. Now, for me, pivoting actually means that you didn't know what you were doing in the first place and you've decided to change your mind and just go in an opposite direction. So there's a school of thought that says that pivoting, close quotes, is actually just a complete admission of failure because you're just getting it wrong. Uh, Another way of looking at things is agile marketing. Well, what does it mean? It means doing things quite fast. Well, you could say that you should do things really fast anyway, if you're any good, in which case you'd have a first faster turnaround and quicker response to market activity. Or you should just say, well, what's the point because if you're doing it really fast you probably make a mistake and not make a great job of it yeah tell me tell me something about speed you seem to say that speed can be manifested in a number of ways good and bad yeah and i was fascinated by your title for this because when you said warp speed it reminded me of a star trek back in the 70s you know and um old scotty sitting there in the command module or whatever with captain kirk telling him that you know that the lithium crystals can't take it and all that stuff. But technically what warp speed means is faster than light. It's a kind of imaginary warping of time and light, and it's contrary to the laws of physics, which means that it sort of can't be done, which means that you're pulling a miracle out of a hat. So in your example, James, if GIFCAF pull a campaign out of the hat, as it were, in a week, well, did they really, or was it actually sort of pre-shot and it's a quick edit? Well, we could all have done that 30 years ago anyway in advertising. So some of these stories might be a little apocryphal 
Um, but at any rate, there's nothing wrong with working fast if you can do something decent. James, what's been your general impression of the quality of this high-speed marketing since we moved into this uh, lockdown phase? I think generally good. Um, I think that's more at the end of um, products and service development and, and lateral thinking and new initiatives being brought forward rather than necessarily at the comms end of the marketing mix. Um, I think there's, there's that now infamous video um, that edits together all the different messages of COVID campaigns, which just it just embarrassingly rumbles into one and I think all too quick are many a brand to jump on the caring togetherness community bandwagon um, even if it's irrelevant to their you know brand promise or, or product almost um, so I think good and bad is, is probably a, a bit of a fair um, summary. That um, video by the way is required viewing for all marketers it, it really does show the similarity and the homogeneity if you like of some of these ads and, and as James says many of them are completely irrelevant to the brand that's putting them out but there is some good stuff out there I think we're all three agreed that there is some good stuff out there and if it is possible Kevin to produce this stuff which is good at high speed if it's possible to achieve quality at high speed why didn't we do it before of course not everybody's brilliant and so there's always going to be a lot of average stuff around and James is quite right. Um, there's a homogeneity to those dreadful messages. And they all essentially say, we're here with you. We've been with you all the time. And frankly, that degree of cliche coming from the marketing and advertising community is it's risible. Uh, and it does the industry no favours whatsoever. What it essentially amounts to is a complete laziness of thinking. Let's default to the simplest cliche, lowest common denominator wibble and pump it out. And of course, that isn't doing any favours whatsoever. In fact, if you see a collage like that put together, you'd, you would assume that most customers would just view that actually as cynicism. In other words, it could even be counterproductive. It's trying to be lovey-dovey, carey-sherry. But in fact, most people's reaction to that is, that is a load of old cliched nonsense and therefore my estimation of the brand that just delivered it to me has just gone down rather than up. Well, I mean, it's a complete turn-off, isn't it, for me? I mean, anything like that now, I just flick over the channel. Um, have you seen anything counter to that, Kevin, that you've been pretty impressed with that uh, companies have put out at this high-speed rate? Well, I would say that I would distinguish between the advertising or marketing message and the actual strategy underneath it. In other words, is it ethical or not? So, for example, those brands that have actually done something proper, they're demonstrating what I would call a during COVID strategy rather than a post-COVID strategy. And I think there's going to be a tremendous difference. By that, what I mean is there are certain businesses and certainly whole categories and sectors that have withdrawn all their marketing and advertising messages immediately, and it's total radio silence from them. And as a result, we would reasonably assume that they have no ethical strategic response to this problem time. And that, in other words, they're doing nothing for their customers at all. That's what we assume from the absence of communication. So where somebody is doing something specific, such as providing transport for people to get from A to B when they're doing critical work, delivering food and supplies to certain places that are suitable to their market, then I think they're very entitled to 
uh, not crow about that, but to say that they're doing it. And usually those initiatives involve a tremendous amount of customer involvement as well. And sometimes there's even financial support needed. So those are the ones. And to me, the crucial point is it's an ethical strategy underlying the initiative rather than just a cynical thing that they're doing to take advantage. Have you seen anything that's particularly impressed you, James, since we're moving into this lockdown? Not from a communications perspective, no, I must admit. But I mean, I think I think the way that um, food wholesalers have changed their business model has stuck out to me in my mind, um, you know, with, with, um, with, with a complete disruption to the um, restaurant and pub, um, you know, world, um, the likes of um, JJ Foods, etc., delivering direct to customer, I think, has been something that's really stood out to me. Um, and, you know, on the surface, that feels as if it's quite a, an obvious thing to do, but the back end processes to set that up, that set that sort of, um, you know, B2C facing um, uh, platform up um, is, is, is not to be underestimated. Now, I, I read an interesting um, example of um, Heinz, who set up a, um, a, a direct customer website in, in less than three weeks called Heinz to Home, um, where you could get bundled products of, I mean, good, goodness knows what it did to flatulence in these, in these, um, in these houses. You could get bundled products of Heinz um, cans delivered directly to your door. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think just those are the sorts of things. And just a small, a small one, but my local shell garage is now on Uber Eats. Um, you know, and then that sort of proliferation of Yorkie bars to deliver to your door. Exactly, it, it sh- should one desire. Um, and and you know, and the other independent restaurants and and um, outlets that are that are getting onto Uber Eats. And I think those are the sorts of sort of initiatives which are, are sort of quite heartwarming to see in a way, because of the, you know, the the, the sort of the. The, the customer needs that's driving those those developments. Um, so to say that far more than I've not seen anything from from a comms perspective that really stands out for me. Maybe not from a comms. We're not none of us. None of us are particularly overwhelmed by the quality. But we're there does seem to be a story in the background about process. Is that suddenly the Heinz's of this world, or the or the or the or the high street multiple supermarkets of this world, have found that they can bring things forward much quicker than they thought they would. And I'm not talking about the quality of the output here so much as the process behind it. There seems to me that in the background, the decision-making processes that are leading to this output actually seeing the light of day have suddenly been massively crunched down into the bare minimum, which makes you wonder, if we can do it now, why are we spending five weeks uh, when we could have done it in five days uh, before this thing broke out? Indeed, absolutely. I think, you know, what what it has made a lot of businesses do is look hard and and sort of hard and long at their internal processes and the sort of the hoops they go through to get new products out the door you know the stakeholder management processes um and the sluggishness um with which they you know with which they approach these tasks um historically um i think to ritson's point it, it, it does give an opportunity for a spring clean these types of um occasions um you know Albeit, hopefully, once in a once in a generation or um, thing. But um, you're right. I, I think there's that. That's that's the awkward question. I think that everyone should be asking themselves. Although we've not been blown away by many campaigns so far during this lockdown, uh, that might just be that we're learning how to do things at speed. 
or it might mean that speed naturally leads to a detriment in quality. Which is it, Kevin? Right. Now, this is the big one, isn't it? I think it's all to do with priority. And I use the word in the singular intentionally because priority as a word originally came from the Latin a priori, which means the first and only thing that you're going to do. And unfortunately, it was our friends across the pond who invented the word priorities in the plural. So I think what you're seeing here, just as a broad philosophy of life and business, is that if an entire company and or the chief exec that heads it has one single priority, singular, then they will crack on and do that thing. And as a result, nothing else matters. Now, that's something that I call task triage. In other words, you chop everything out. And so what's happened is a kind of myopia where it's the only thing anyone's talking about or doing anything about. And in that respect, that is good for everything, including the discipline of of marketing. Now, to give you an example, and this is where the lines get a little blurred, but how fast things can move. We were talking about high street retail. And I just happened to be a Sainsbury's Nectar card holder. And because you can use your uh, barcode on your mobile phone to get your points, that means they've got their e- your email address. And that meant that in the last few weeks, every two or three days, I receive a personal email from the chief exec of Sainsbury's. And what they're doing is telling me, right, X, Y, and Z are going on. We're not, people aren't happy with queuing. We're going to open an hour earlier to allow uh, key workers and NHS staff to come in. We've got a slot for the elderly. We are going to distance you by two metres. We're putting up screens so that staff aren't infected and so on. By receiving that kind of information every day, it is a form of marketing. Mm. Yeah, and it's very, very fast. It just happens not to if you like, correspond to a classic vision of a television campaign or something, which sounds proportionally much harder to turn around. But nevertheless, it is informing and telling the customer what's going on. So looping those bits together, what you end up with is something can be very fast and very good if it's single-minded and judiciously done James, you worked before you came to CIM for most of your career, agency side. Did you find when you were on agency side that any of the agencies tended to follow that model? Single priority, everything going to the one point, uh, a task triage, as Kevin so neatly puts it. Uh, no, I can't say that that, that was the case of my, my experience whatsoever. I think, you know, working in client services, I think we probably have possibly had you know, a, a a leading priority for each of the accounts that we worked on. Um, but all of a sudden you're working on five accounts and you've got five priorities that you're juggling. So I think it's almost a sort of a forced um, Americanism of the, uh, of, of, of the approach to priority. Um, and, and that's what I, that's generally what agency life is like, you know, I found, and it's part of the appeal. It's the juggling of multiple, um, um, elements, no matter what your role is, whether you're a copywriter or a or a planner or a you know or a suit. So yeah. you think it's more we're more likely to find a uh, good high speed marketing client side. You think it's easier to align client side when you haven't got number of accounts that you've got to juggle. 
I don't know because most businesses have multiple products and multiple brands. So I think you know the challenge the challenge can can lie therein. But I mean, I think um, more so than ever there there should be singularity to you know to Kevin's point of 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 focus and priority in the current um, in the current climate. Um, I think you know the, the complex nature of a lot of businesses where different um, business units can you know be silo, operating in silos can mean that. When you have to do something quickly, it's inherently difficult to. What do you think about the effect of crises on speed? Do they have a galvanising effect? I would say so, yes. I mean, I think it sort of, um, you know, it sort of reminds you of that time, if you want something done quickly, give it to someone who's busy. You know, it's, it's a sort of a similar approach to that in a way that I think nothing beats, an, nothing beats action than an impending deadline or you know, a fast-moving situation. I mean, it's a harrowing time for businesses, marketing uh, departments and otherwise. In terms of ability of process, do you think there'll be anything good that comes out of it? Well, we need to go back to grassroots for this one. The average agency that is working for a client marketing function and indeed the, the client marketing department, in all probability, has got a huge list of stuff to do, which typically would be on a status report produced by some hapless account executive every Friday afternoon for half a day. And um, there'll be 57 things on that list. And you can pretty much guarantee that well over 50 of them are not worth doing ever. And a classic example of that might be, for example, um, competitive benchmarking. I mean, what's the point of benchmarking yourself against everybody else in the industry if the whole industry is happy to be on five or six out of ten? You're just perpetuating mediocrity. So there are thousands of tasks that are loosely affiliated with, let's say, the discipline of marketing, which in the main don't even need to be done. Not really. Not when you get somebody who is really focused and says, this is today's priority or this week or this month or this year. So there's a huge amount of fluff in any industry. And I think what happens in a moment like this now, whether you call it fear or panic or a survival instinct or just plain expedience, it sure sharpens the mind and all the stuff that wasn't that important, strangely, doesn't need to be done. We'll just do this one thing here, which means we can do it faster. Have you noticed at your end, James, working client side at Moore Hall in the marketing department for CIM, that suddenly you are being able to uh separate the really important from the less important and do only the really important stuff yeah absolutely i think it's given us very much focus uh, you know we have we have a, a variety of status reports um that support different areas of the business whether it's membership qualifications open courses events obviously events has been has been has been hugely affected um but i think we do have that try to have that singular thought for each of those products that, or services that we support, um, which is ultimately driven by what is the, what's the one thing we can do that makes the business, is going to help the business ultimately. I, I, I completely agree with Kevin that there is often half, half a status report that isn't worth doing. I think the one thing that we've had to really focus our efforts on is supporting the business in, in, in promoting and, and going live with some of the new products and services that we've you know been 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 sped into um, and, and launching to to support 
the ability for um, the industry to continue their learning, but from the safety of their own homes. So virtual classes, um, which involves establishing you know, secure Zoom links with our course directors through to um, looking at new ways of delivering our qualification modules through virtual classes across our accredited study centre network um, you know, worldwide. So I, I think that that's that's given us real focus. I think is this is this is the one thing that we need to land and deliver for membership for quals for open uh, and it has it's, it's and and actually long, you know long met last I think so hopefully yeah. hopefully anything else would just be brushed aside and it shouldn't creep back onto onto to do lists. That, that's really interesting. I mean I know we've talked a lot about it not in this forum but generally in the sort of discussion media everywhere about the race to digitization of content, the race to digitization of output, Kevin, which was we thought was going really quickly until February. And then we realized actually it was going a lot slower than it could have done. So in that space, in terms of uh, companies changing their marketing offer to this high speed digital output, it really has accelerated very quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, I find this one quite um, polarizing as well, because it really what in a way, I'm thinking it's time for us to stop talking about, quotes, digital transformation, because really, if a business hasn't got to grips with this now, brackets, they should have done it at least a decade ago, then they pretty much deserve to go out of business anyway. So if they haven't done it now, then it's pretty pointless. Having said all that, don't forget that there are scores of business types and categories that are doing really very well at the moment because there's been a reversion to what you might call basic human needs. So, for example, grocery delivery. Yeah. Many, many FMCG brands, toilet paper, beans, basic stuff that existed on a shopping list over a century ago, regardless of delivery mechanism, are actually doing very, very well right now as people revert to their basic needs. So rocketing to some sort of digital transformation, which sounds jolly trendy, is of no relevance to any of these businesses at all. If anything, things have become more basic and less advanced, if we think about it in that way. So I think it has two sides. We seem to be improving on processes without necessarily yet improving on quality, but what the consumer is buying tends to be more basic. How do we reconcile those points? I think the consumer purchasing behaviours are certainly more basic. I think that's played out by something that Tesco's have talked about today, which is around we're reverting to a weekly shop um, rather than um, a sort of a every two days. And so whilst, whilst um, frequency has, has gone down, basket size has gone up, um, which is obviously uh, um, a, a mandate almost of the current lockdown climate that we're living in. But I, I, I question whether people's perceptions and attitudes have gone back to more basic or whether the ability to consume online um, that some brands, businesses are, are, are absolutely delivering on, um, whether that is the new benchmark that people will apply to all categories that's 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 an unknown at the moment so i think you know purchasing purchasing behaviors but 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 sort of perceptions going forward i think could be on two different axes 
In terms of perceptions, in terms of the output, what does seem to have happened is that people can tolerate and accept a lower quality of output. And what I mean by quality here is not the quality of the content, but the quality of the fidelity, the quality of the audio, the quality of the visual. And if they are able to tolerate it now, because they're used to Newsnight being done by Zoom, they're used to seeing BBC News being done over, over the telephone and all the rest of it, if they can tolerate that now, Kevin, will some of that stick after the lockdown and people will suddenly say, well, there's no point doing very high fidelity campaigns anymore because a low fidelity, uh, rough and ready campaign is just as effective? I would say definitely not. Um... Whether I'm cynical or whether I've observed history enough, I'm not sure. But all history suggests that we learn nothing at all. And the moment a crisis is over, uh, we are straight back to doing all the hedonistic stuff that we were doing before. And you can bet your boots that a few moments after normal services resumed, close quotes, someone will be bellyaching that they haven't got a high definition TV in the right room in the house. So um, I don't really see it like that. Um, I also think it's worth making the distinction. I think we bandy the phrase online around in a rather generic sort of way. And what I mean by that is that if you're sitting at home and you decide I'm going to download that specific piece of software and lots more people do it, then that's fine because that arrives directly into your digital machine in your house and you've purchased it. And sales of those types of software and so forth have rocketed, not surprisingly. But for all other physical items, don't forget the last mile. In other words, you could be buying something, quotes, digitally through a computer, but it has to arrive at your front door with somebody with some packaging and a face mask on. And that is old fashioned. So just because something is bought online doesn't mean it manifests itself in a modern, digitally transformed way, because it patently doesn't. So I think we'll just be back to exactly where we were before. Back to where we were in terms of the quality of the output, the demands, the, the expectations, the standards of output. Will we be back to where we were before in terms of the speed of output? Is some of this high-speed, warp-speed marketing going to endure, James, after the lockdown? I think that's a that's a you know really interesting question and and one which you know, nobody nobody can know for certain. I, I would I would wager that there will be a um, a retreat back into a slightly longer lead time for you know a t TV ad production, for example. Um, I think you know to to Kevin's point, I think long form habits uh, you know die hard basically. So I think I think there will be a natural spring back into that, um, but I think it will. It, it will be interesting to see the dynamic between businesses and their agencies um, and, and how that is, is changed, if at all, off, off the back of this. Kevin, could you see a position where uh, businesses get used to their agencies uh, having to do these things super, super fast uh, and, and then suddenly expect it, a crisis or no crisis? Yeah, that's a classic, isn't it? You remember the old saying, which is, whenever you achieve the impossible for your boss, they simply add it to your regular list of duties. <laughs> now, I suppose it's possible that naughty clients would think, well, that's easy. You've turned that campaign around in five days. This is what I expect forever from now on. I think that would be a pretty bad client. Um, 
but let's think about human nature for a minute everywhere on any side of that fence which is that frankly nobody I don't think is going to be able to keep up the pace on something like that in other words there's there's no company no marketing department no agency who will routinely then turn around a campaign every five days simply not going to happen but at the root of that is basic human nature just think about the way business works people don't like things happening fast they like to waffle around for at least three to five months talking about next year's plan i mean typically next year's plan people start talking about in august and even by February, it still isn't officially signed off. That's because people like talking, appearing to be busy in meetings and eating a lot of biscuits and drinking coffee. So in other words, they want things stretched out. But the idea of two major campaigns a year is enough to strike the fear of God in most marketing departments. The idea that you would have 52 of them is just completely out of the question. People just won't do it. Are we going to sort of uh, equivocate here and end up by saying, James, We'll probably do things a little bit quicker, but not vastly quicker. And we will be a little bit more efficient, but probably not vastly more efficient. I think I would concur with that, yeah. James, Kevin, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> okay, thanks. CIM Podcast.